Hey guys, this is Tiffany Cater, and you're listening to The Brazen Truth, where we talk about morality, sexuality, and spirituality according to the Bible. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about homosexuality. This is part two of an episode I did a few weeks back, and I just wanted to talk about this from a theological point of view of what I believe homosexuality is. So thank you for joining me. Let's get to it. The first thing I wanted to start this off with is a question. Is homosexuality genetic, epigenetic, a sociological effect, or a mere choice? So, of course, guys, you already know this. This is just my thoughts, my theories, and um, just a couple of theological beliefs that I have on this topic. So, for starters, I like I said, I'm not sure. But this is what I think. I believe that homosexuality can be all of those things, nature and nurture. Although in this case, when we say nature, we aren't referring to how God intended nature to be uh, from the beginning. What we're referring to is fallen nature. And I'll explain a little bit about what I mean by that in just a minute. But first, let's talk about epigenetics, okay? Um, This is from the New Oxford American Dictionary, and it's, uh, it's a definition of epigenetics. It's the study of changes in organisms caused by modification of gene expression rather than alteration of the genetic code itself, okay? So this is kind of an indirect way, from my understanding, that your DNA can be affected and passed down from generation to generation, okay? This is trippy, guys. Studies in this area are now showing that experiences, okay, experiences can indirectly change your DNA and cause you to be more likely to develop uninheritable things. Guys, Okay, this is this is like sci-fi movie stuff that they're just starting to discover is real. And guess what? Of course, it's been in the Bible for a very long time. It's awesome when science starts to line up with biblical ideas. Here's some examples of some uninheritable things. Um, so a, an example is being fit or being fat. PTSD is another example of this. They, they have found that PTSD, it's not technically passed down. It's the likelihood that someone is going to develop PTSD. For example, um, a group that they studied that had been um, in the Holocaust and that they had experienced horrible, horrible things um, that caused them to have PTSD, their kids their kids were more likely to develop PTSD from lesser events. Um, so smaller things could trigger this PTSD in these these kids. And they've studied that um, same example in other people who have suffered from PTSD for different reasons. Alcoholism is another thing. Food preferences, okay? Food preferences. You ever wonder why uh, certain people who were raised in different areas, they prefer certain food? Or, or like, I, I love Mexican candy. Okay, I love Mexican candy, but my husband thinks it's absolutely disgusting. 
disgusting. And I'm like, how, how can you not like Mexican candy? It's amazing. It's spicy. It's sweet. It's everything you might want. But he can't stand it. He thinks it looks gross and he thinks it tastes gross. So that's an example. I, I, I was born in Mexico. Um, I grew up eating that stuff. My mom ate that stuff when she was pregnant with me. Um, you know, it, it, this is an example of a food preference that can be passed down from generation to generation. Um, and it's not something that's inheritable. It's something that is epigenetic. So I, I guess technically now they're finding out that these things are in fact inheritable, um, just not by changing the DNA, by indirectly changing that DNA. So these these, th- these studies that are coming out are so interesting because they line up with what the Bible has described as generational curses. Okay, generational curses, they can also be generational blessings. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. We're not talking about that too much today, but I do want to I do want to touch on it because it's so important that we know about these generational blessings as well. First, I want to talk about an example of generational curses. In 2 Kings 5, we're talking about Elisha. And um, I don't want to go too far into the story, but Elisha had this servant who was kind of um, deceiving. He was manipulative and he wanted to take some money from this leper that, that God healed through Elisha, right? So um, he did. He, he deceived the guy into giving him some stuff and um, buried it in his tent. We've heard that before. But the servant um, ended up being stricken with the leprosy that this other guy had been healed from because he lied. And Elisha prophesied that it would go from generation to generation to generation. And I looked up leprosy just to kind of see what it is. And it's very contagious, but it's not supposed to be something that you can inherit from a parent. That's not how it works. They have found out that um, although leprosy cannot be passed down from parent to child um, through DNA, the um, vulnerability to catch leprosy, they have found that the vulnerability to catch leprosy is something that you can inherit from a parent. The likelihood that you will get leprosy goes way up if you have this certain uh, family lineage. Okay, so um, I, I thought that was Interesting. I mean, that sucks for the guy, but I thought that was interesting because that is some that is an example of a generational curse, a medical example of a generational curse. So these scientists to kind of study this effect of epigenetics, um, they did a study on mice. They wanted to see if mice could inherit experiences of fear. Okay, and they found that the grandkids or the grand mice of uh, these mice who have experienced fear also had the same fears that were unexplained because they never experienced the reason for the fear. They had the same fears as the grandparents. Okay, this explains why when I had a, a, a a mouse problem a few months back, I could not use the same old mouse traps over and over again because all of these new mice that were coming out they would not fall for the traps. I'm not talking about an immunity, okay? They wouldn't eat the poison and then just not die. They just wouldn't eat the poison. I mean, I I don't know exactly if that's the reason for that, but it it would make sense that um, it lines up with the study that these scientists did on these mice. So I thought that was super interesting. Uh, Some people have unexplained fears of heights or of other random things that they don't know why they're afraid of it. Um, But maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know. 
Um, But I wanted to read this quote by Sarah Kimmins. She's an epigenetic and reproductive biology researcher at McGill University. And she says that the ramifications in terms of human health are enormous. What you're doing and how you're living your life is going to have consequences, not just for your child, but for your grandchildren. Guys, this is not... Um, someone who is preaching from the pulpit, okay? This is a scientist in a lab, and she is telling you exactly what God's word has been telling us for a long time. So I think that, you know, born this way isn't technically wrong. And Christians have been saying it's wrong for a really long time. I don't think that that's wrong. I think you can be born that way. Does that change the fact that it's sin? No, it does not. Um, But a lot of Christians look at it like you just woke up one day and that's how you decided to be and that's what you wanted to do. But that's not what it is. And again, why why is it important to know this? Because gay pride and gay awareness are two different things. See, pride looks at a beautiful waterfall created to flow down the mountain and water the entire valley and says that waterfall is beautiful. But awareness says, look at that leak in the dam. You better fix it or your whole town will be flooded. Okay, it's important to know how we're supposed to look at a thing, okay? We celebrate how God made us. But when there's things that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation that are not productive to the human race, that are not helpful to your fellow man or fellow woman or fellow child, (laughs) when we look at something that's hurting mankind, that's breaking up families, that's um, disrupting the family unit and breaking up the foundation that God has given us to build on, then we have to look at it for what it is or we're not going to treat it like what it is. something that's harmful. The family unit is important. And I'm not saying that everyone's purpose is to have kids and have a family. But what I'm saying is if you look at society today and the chaos and the pain and the disruption in our society, you can trace it back to when the family unit started to collapse. And if you look at other countries, you can see the same effects at work. Now, I know that um, homosexuality and alcoholism are different things because one of them involves the heart love, right? And the other one does not involve the heart. But I do want to draw a parallel um, in this way, okay? And this is this is kind of painting a picture of the importance of perspective. So to know that your um, your alcoholism is genetic doesn't mean that you have to be an alcoholic, okay? It doesn't mean you have to be an alcoholic, but it does mean that if you start drinking, it is likely that you will become an alcoholic, The drinking unlocks the effect of the generational curse or epigenetics and activates it in your life. If you become an alcoholic, it may be something that you will always be tempted with, but it doesn't mean that you can't be sober. Okay, so when people say that you can't pray the gay away, that's like telling a sober person that drinking is inevitable since they still have the desire to drink. Just because you have the desire doesn't mean that you have to do it. The concept that there is no hope for freedom causes people not to seek freedom. And it keeps them bound, identifying as a slave to this sin rather than the conquest of the cross. Identify with the conquest, the victory of the cross and the resurrection. You are born to conquer. Whatever that giant is, 
you have the capacity to defeat that giant, to conquer that giant through Christ Jesus who conquered before us. So I also want to talk about identity versus orientation. So this is part of the enemy's strategy, okay? First, I want to read the definition of sexual identity according to Wikipedia. Okay, the definition is how one thinks of oneself in terms of whom one is romantically or sexually attracted. Sexual identity may also refer to sexual orientation identity, which is when people identify or disidentify with sexual orientation or choose not to identify with a sexual orientation. Okay, so it's important that we realize that they kind of merge and blur the lines between identity and orientation, okay? They're two different, very different, distinct things, okay? Orientation, according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, is the determination of a relative position of something or someone, especially oneself, okay? So it's where you are. Orientation is where you are, the determination of where you are. Identity, according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Example, he knows the identity of the bombers. Okay, so it's the fact of being something or someone. So um, the Wikipedia definition of sexual identity tries to blur the lines and make identity and orientation interchangeable. But they aren't. They're very different. Identity is who you are. Orientation is where you are. Okay, why is this important to know the distinction? Because you can't change who you are, okay? Even if you change, you are still you. And you can't be anyone else, right? You are still you. Even if you change, you are still you, okay? But you can change where you are. And you can look at where you are and retrace the steps of how you got there, right? You can change where you are and you can figure out how you got to where you are. But if the enemy can get you to identify with sin, um, then when God tries to separate you from it to save you, you will not let go because in your mind, it's who you are. And maybe that's just how sin works. It can become who you are because that's who you believe that you are. And we, we learn about faith um, in, in Sunday school or at church all the time, right? Um, faith, you can't, you can't please God without faith. Um, faith is, is huge, right? Um, the Bible says a man is what he thinketh in his heart. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about others, what you believe about your sickness or your sin, all of those things matter. So many times when Jesus healed people, he would say, go, your what? Your faith. Your faith has made you healed. So what you believe really matters. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So God wants to make you a new creation. He wants to take your DNA and with it, every generational curse that is haunting you, trying to take you down, trying to take your kids out, all of those generational curses, he wants to make you new. So you can say that you were born that way, but Jesus says you can be reborn. You can say that's in your DNA. That's a part of your biological um, build. But God says he wants to rebuild you. He wants to remake you into a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Guys, who you believe you are matters. 
so this whole generational cycle of perpetual sin um, and the curses that came with it, it all started with Adam and Eve. Okay, and it's been passed down since then through what we are now calling epigenetics. We all share the DNA of Adam and Eve, and before Christ, the same proneness to sin, every sin, runs through all of our veins. But before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were also blessed, okay? And since then, there have been blessings given to generation after generation from God their Father, It's time to stop taking and keeping the cursed family heirlooms and begin to unlock the blessings that our ancestors may have left dormant. So we have many treasure chests set before us, some with generational blessings, some with generational curses, and they are all unlocked through faith. All of them, the good, the bad, people think of faith as a righteous and good thing. But guys, if you believe in the curses or the promises of the enemy, then that kind of faith also unlocks the curses and the promises of the enemy. Just like when you believe in the blessings and the promises of God, it unlocks those blessings and promises. Um, Faith is an amazingly powerful thing in your life, and it can make or it can break you. Now, when you do believe in the the curses and the... um, promises of the enemy. I believe that that's called fear. I I think that's exactly what fear is. And fear doesn't always look like someone cowered in the corner afraid. Sometimes fear looks like someone who has nothing to lose, someone who's tired of trying, someone who knows that they have no hope, that they have nothing left. So they're defiantly raging against God. Sometimes that's what fear is. It's more about being deceived about who you are, about the hope that maybe you feel like you don't have. You know, sometimes when I watch gay pride parades or um, uh, how some gay people react to someone trying to share the gospel with them, that's exactly what I see. I see a child of God who feels like God hates them, who feels like there's no hope for them, who feels like they're going to hell anyways, who feels like they can't change who they are. And if they can't beat them, they might as well join them, right? You know, feeling like you have nothing to lose is actually a very seductive mindset to have. You would think that, oh, it's a sucky mindset to have. And you know, it is, it is, but it feels good sometimes. It feels good to feel like you have nothing to lose. Like you don't have to try anymore. Like, uh, you know, you don't have hope anymore. So you might as well just do whatever you want. It's kind of like when people decide that they want to kill themselves. Um, They say a lot of times they're, they're happy. They're, they act happy. They act Um, Like maybe they've been depressed for a while, but now they suddenly act happy and like things are starting to look up and then they kill themselves and they're like, what? I thought things were going so well for them. They they seem to be like they were doing so much better, but um, that's because they've given up. They, they feel liberated from the, the pressure and the weight of trying. When I see people who used to go to church, who used to love God, when I see someone like that at a gay pride parade... And they're just tired of trying. And they're waving that flag and they're marching. I see a hopelessness that looks like relief. And in that moment, it feels like joy. But just like everything else the enemy does, it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit joy. It's counterfeit love. It's counterfeit freedom. And it's a counterfeit identity. And with that, I want to end on this scripture verse. 
Deuteronomy 30.19 Today I have given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants may live. So choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Hope doesn't have to be a heavy burden for you. Jesus said in Matthew 11:30, "For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." That doesn't mean that every battle we fight is light. That doesn't mean that everything we are called to do as Christians is easy. When you're walking under the wing of the Most High God, when you're walking in His presence, the place that you were created for, you were intended for, the place that your soul thirsts for every moment of the day, when you're walking in that place, you are where you were made to be. You are where you were meant to be, and you are who you were created to be. And that is easy. And when we take on that yoke of Christ, we take on His identity as well. And that's the only doorway, that's the only doorway to our true identity is through Him. And that's why in Matthew 16, 24, He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So it's kind of interesting because the first way to get to your identity is to deny yourself who you think you are. Deny that. Follow Jesus. And then in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So to know who you are, you have to deny who you think you are. Pick up your cross and follow him. Take on his yoke. Enter in through his gates, and then you will find pasture. You will walk in the destiny, in the calling, in the purpose that you were created for. And some days you have to fight harder than other days. But Jesus says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. Everything you're dealing with, every emotion you're feeling, every struggle that you fought, Jesus is right there with you, conquering next to you. God lives outside of time. He knows the end of the story. Don't give up for he has already overcome the world. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. The next episode will be released Thursday, July 8th. And it's kind of up in the air about what we're going to talk about. I'm not really sure. I'm going to pray on it. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to talk to some people. And I hope to be talking to you. So please find me on Facebook. Send me a message. Comment below. Like, subscribe, comment, share. And I will be seeing you guys here shortly. Again, thank you for listening to The Brazen Truth. Until next time.